I'm Ashanti Golar, the founder of the Brown Girl's Guide to Politics. Welcome to season five of the podcast. With just 14 days until the presidential election, criminal justice reform is on the ballot. And today, you can't talk about the need for criminal justice reform without talking about Breonna Taylor. And the city is under a mandatory curfew after a grand jury decided not to indict three police officers in the shooting death of Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor's decision regarding the Breonna Taylor case, a woman shot to death. What happened to Breonna Taylor is unfortunately not new. Tragedies like this occur too much in black and brown communities, especially to black women. And there are names of so many women we will never know. There have been demonstrations held in Louisville for 100 plus consecutive days. Today, we ask the question, how do we change the system from the inside and outside to ensure that we never have to see the names of our sisters, brothers, and friends as hashtags? Today, we interview both state's attorney, Aisha Brayboy. Those who have, who, who have sworn to uphold the public trust, we have to hold them in the highest level of accountability. In Kentucky State Representative Attica Scott. It's clear that this alphabet soup of law enforcement that's here in Louisville, both local, state, and federal uh, law enforcement, are preparing for battle, for war, against the people they're supposed to protect and serve. And... That's terrifying. We talk about the future of criminal justice reform. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And I'm really excited to talk to today's guest. We know that one of the things that's going to be on the ballot this election season is criminal justice reform. And when we think about criminal justice reform, we really don't think about all the ways, all the offices where we vote for people and they have an impact. And today we're going to be speaking to two women in elected office who have been leading on criminal justice reform issues. We have state's attorney Aisha Braveboy from Maryland and Kentucky State Representative Attica Scott. In true fashion, first we have to start with having you both tell us what drew you into politics? And we'll start with you, state's attorney. Wow, that's a great question. Actually, I had no intentions in getting into politics. It really, it was my father who wanted me to work on a campaign. He knows sometimes you have to listen to your parents, even as adults. That's the, that's the one thing I will. <laughs> that's the truth right there. First of all, he told me I was going to be a lawyer, and I told him, no, I'm not going to go to the law. Then he told me, um, I think. I, I would like you to work on this campaign. I think you need to get politically active. And I was like, ah, oh, no, Dad, I don't want to do that. But the, the person who um, he wanted me to work for happened to have graduated from the same law school that I, I went to, which is the Howard University School of Law. So <laughs> I said, okay, another bison. I'm going to help a bison out. And then I've been hooked ever since. So, <laughs> so thanks, Dad. <laughs> I love how Howard alums, y'all always get in that HU. It can just, you know. oh, sorry. <laughs> just a regular conversation. How are you today? Oh, I went to Howard. Thank you. <laughs> Rep. Scott, tell us what drew you into politics? Definitely. And, you know, state's attorney, brave boy, our fathers, I mean, you know, that it's their fault. So um, I was born into it. My uh, dad gave me my name, Attica. I'm named after the prison in upstate New York. I was born a, a few months after the uprisings there. And so I, I didn't have a choice 
Ashanti. I really didn't. Um, and so early on, I got involved in uh, right out of college, a classmates run for city council in Knoxville, Tennessee, because I went away to an HBCU as well. And so I worked on his campaign. And then I, uh, my full time job was at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And my director was a county commissioner who became the first woman mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. And then I came back home and I was involved with organized labor at Jobs with Justice and ended up having friends say to me that I needed to run for office. And so because my friends, mostly black and brown uh, women, encouraged me to run for office, that's how I first uh, I got involved. I love it. And y'all, Attica is my Emerge sister. She went through Emerge Kentucky. And I remember the first time I got to email her for something. And I was so excited because I finally get to work with Attica on something. And she replied back to my email and she said, hey, queen. And I almost died. I'm like, y'all, Attica called me queen because that's the way I feel about her. So you are just so fabulous. And I want to start with having us talk about Brianna Taylor's case, because I think there's so much here, particularly with you, Rep. Scott. You just had an op-ed in the Washington Post. After the verdict, you were out protesting with your daughter named Ashanti, another reason why Attica and I are meant to be best friends. And you were arrested and you've been dealing with the aftermath of that. You've sponsored Brianna's Law for Kentucky. You're the only Black woman currently in the Kentucky State House. Mm-hmm. So let's let's dissect this case. And State's Attorney Brayboy, I know you have a lot to add. It's the fact that there were no-knock warrants, how they handled just paperwork, body cameras, the grand jury. I know that's something that has really piqued, piqued people's interests about this grand jury. And, oh, what does this attorney general do? So, Rep. Scott, first, let's talk about your op-ed, why you felt you had to write it. And it came from a really personal place. You said, this is personal to me. That's right, Ashanti. And and I'm on this podcast with Queens. I mean, come on, state's attorney, brave boy, you Ashanti, this is power. And so, yes, I had the the opportunity. The Washington Post invited me to to write a piece just from my perspective, whatever that was, on things going on here in Louisville and Kentucky. And so that's exactly what I did. I poured my heart into it as a mother of two Black children. My son is the same age as Brianna Taylor, my daughter is 19. She wanted to be an EMT. And then Brianna Taylor was murdered. And she said to me, mom, that didn't protect her from police violence. So I'm not sure that's for me. So this is really pulling on us. And Ashanti, the people who are leading the front lines um, here in Louisville for justice for Brianna Taylor are mostly women. And so we're feeling this heavily. So yes, we've got two now, two grand jurors who want to speak out. So that says to me that the attorney general for Kentucky was so inept that and such a failure that you have grand jurors who want the right to speak out, to say that he did not give us all of the options in front of us, that there was no one there to speak for Breonna Taylor, and that this whole process was a sham. That's where we are right now. That says something about the continued um, push for justice for Breonna Taylor. And that's why we won't give up. And that's why this movement is sustained. And State's Attorney Brayvoy, walk us through 
just no-knock warrants. How does something like this happen? Let's be real. How does something like this happen? And why is it always happening in the Black and brown communities? Those are really great questions. And let me just say this. I don't know um, the specific laws around obtaining a no-knock warrant in Kentucky, but I think they're probably similar to uh, what happens here in Maryland. So there's two criteria that uh, we look at uh, or that the law allows us to look at. Um, number one is uh, the dangerousness of the, the individual who is the target or the suspect involved in the case. And the other thing, which I think is a little bit more controversial and something that we really need to consider, is the likelihood that if you did not have a no-knock warrant, that the evidence uh, that is the target of the investigation would be destroyed or somehow, you know, concealed in some way. And if, in, in Maryland at least, if you can prove either one of those things, uh, then um, that would be sufficient for a judicial officer to issue or sign off on a no-knock warrant. But in Prince George's County, um, we have a heightened review of no-knock warrants. So our office reviews every no-knock warrant. And instead of just saying, do you meet the minimum criteria for a no-knock warrant and then issuing it, uh, we really focus more on the dangerousness of the individual who's the target of the investigation, as opposed to simply looking at what they're trying to collect, which often is drugs in our communities. Sometimes it's weapons as well. But in this case, what I um, kept asking myself, and I don't know that I have a good answer, and I don't know that there is a good answer, is why were the police there in the first place? Mm, what was mm -hmm. the basis upon which they obtained um, a warrant, a no-knock at that, but any type of search warrant? Because typically what we look for with search warrants, uh, especially if we're looking, uh, trying to obtain a no-knock search warrant, is we're saying that there's evidence that we know exists if you're not the target, let's say, because my understanding is that um, Breonna Taylor was not the target. They were not trying to arrest her. They didn't have an arrest warrant for her person. They believe or indicated that they thought that there would be some evidence of drugs or the, mm -hmm. the, the fruits of drugs or whatever in her apartment. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know that true or not, but that was <laughs> that's what they indicated. But even in saying that we believe that, what is the basis of, for your for that belief? You know, um, did you do surveillance? When did you do surveillance? Because if you did surveillance two weeks ago or a month ago, that's not going to be enough for mm -hmm. my office to issue a no-knock search warrant. And we'd question whether or not we would even agree to a search warrant because, again, the search warrant, whether it's no-knock or a regular search warrant, there's an inherent level of dangerousness mm -hmm. when you um, are executing a warrant because typically those warrants are executed in the, the wee hours of the night or early morning when people are asleep, they're not expecting it. And so there is a level of dangerous, dangerousness associated with the execution of a warrant. So we don't want officers putting themselves in harm's way or putting civilians in harm's way by executing a warrant where we don't have a sufficient basis. And so that is one of the biggest concerns I think all of us as prosecutors have with this case, not even getting to, and we at some point we'll get to the actual shooting itself, but just why were you there? Because a lot of, uh, a lot of these incidents can be, be prevented by simply not having the interaction to begin with. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'll have to say for now. Yeah. <laughs> about that. Yeah. 
mean, after the decision, we know people just across the world, frankly, were upset. And I did a tweet saying that, okay, the attorney general is on the ballot, sheriffs, judges, all of these roles like have an impact on criminal justice, but criminal justice reform. And when we look at the numbers, we know that 90% of sheriffs are white. 90% of prosecutors are white. 75% are white men. We know that for judges still, predominantly white. And I just say all the time, because I care deeply about this work, is you can't change the criminal justice system without changing the faces of criminal justice reform. And that means having more Black, Brown, Indigenous people, particularly women, in these roles. So like state's attorney, I would like to ask you, you know, what made you want to be a state's attorney? And we got to be honest, when we're looking at the reforms that are happening, it's Black women that are leading it. They're the ones making the change. So talk to us about, and you outlined it pretty well just in that description. Well, my office, how, <laughs> how is it different and why, frankly, why do we need more women of color in these roles? Well, I think uh, just growing up as Black women, especially, and I'll just put it where the ghosts can get it, brown skin, dark skin Black women, we have, I have personally faced a lot of just challenges, even just growing up. So I think we're used to facing challenges and then overcoming them. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are people who can look at a whole person. You know, we don't just look at the crime that that person committed, oftentimes we're trying to figure out what got you there. And then can you re be redeemed? And if so, what can we do to ensure that our communities are safe? Because certainly that is my number one priority, but that also you have a chance uh, to show that you can be a contributing member of our community because most people can if they're given the appropriate guidance and intervention uh, and support. But I have to be willing to say, I'm gonna take a chance on you or that I believe in you. And that's often hard to do, but that's why I have on this shirt here, it says black women lead, because it is true that we are the ones that take those risks. Because I think we've always taken risks in life. Running for office was never guaranteed for us. People didn't just say, oh, yes, you, Annika, yes, we want you to be, no, no, one, no one called upon us to do anything. We uh, said to ourselves, you know what? We have something to contribute. We can win and we will do our darndest to win and we will get in these positions that we have. And so um, one of the things I wanted to do as state's attorney is to really change how people view our system of justice. Our system of justice isn't simply punitive or it should not be. It should really be restorative. And um, before I became state's attorney for 15 years, I worked pro bono as the general counsel for a juvenile diversion program. So I already knew having helped to divert over 4,000 children from our system, that it works. And, and we had like a 97% success rate. Only 3% of those who went through our program uh, got into trouble again as juveniles. And what we understood was that these aren't horrible, bad people. They've done horrible, bad things. But then if we're able to really give them that intervention, they're good. And I recognize that that's not just for children, not just for young people. 
the youngest people, but also for that emerging adult, those who are like 18 through 26, uh, there's still uh, the ability to really meaningfully intervene in their lives. And so in the state's attorney's office, what I said was like, you know what? Yes, they've committed an offense. We're going to hold them responsible. Some of them may have to do some jail time or prison time, but we're not going to forget about them. We're not going to pretend like they don't exist. And so now we're developing innovative programs to help them while they're in prison or jail um, because they're still part of our community. So I'm able to do that and say that because I believe in them. I believe that that there is that this is the better path for our system of justice. And so, you know, I feel like I'm in this position. Honestly, I feel like it because this is where God intended me to be at this time. And being able to be on this show with someone like Attica Scott, who I've read about and I've seen on TV and I'm a fan of yours, being able to, to be to, to, to be here for you. To recognize that what you're saying and the, and the laws that you're uh, moving forward with and the, the, the critique that you have of how that whole thing went down with Breonna Taylor, to say that you and, and your concerns are valid. You see what I'm saying? Me, as, as a state's attorney, saying to you, Representative Scott, you're right. You're on the money. You're on the right track. See, w- this is what we can do for each other at this time. And we need to do that because we've got a lot, a lot of more, more changes to come in our, in our justice system. Uh, and I appreciate that. Thank you. I feel it. <laughs> oh, so true. And Representative Scott, everyone heard me say earlier, you're currently the only Black woman in the Kentucky State Legislature in 2016. You beat out old dude and took that seat. But before you, the Kentucky State House went 20 years without having a Black woman in the State House. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about representation matters, I need everyone to know that if Representative Scott wasn't currently in the state house, Brianna's Law Kentucky would not have been introduced. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about representation matters, y'all, this is what we mean that we need people in there who see us, who get us, who share our lived experience. So Representative Scott, tell us about Brianna's Law, Kentucky, and what can we do, even as non-people of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, to help support you in getting this passed? Definitely. Um, and thank you so much for that, Ashanti. Brianna's Law for Kentucky um, grew out of a Brianna's Law that passed here in Louisville at the local level, passed unanimously. Well, at the state level, we're broadening it. We're, we're addressing more than one issue related to her murder, more than the no-knock warrants. We're also looking at mandating that officers who are involved in shootings or other deadly incidences must have alcohol and drug testing within two hours of that incident. We had an officer who just wandered off after her shooting, was gone for more than an hour, just came back like it was nothing. And then um, we also are mandating that officers must have on and turn on body-worn cameras. Now, initially, if y'all were following the case, you know that uh, both the mayor of Louisville and the Louisville Metro Police Department claimed that there was no body camera footage. Oh, and somehow, miraculously, last month, there's body camera footage. So we don't even want to be in a position where we're, we don't know whether or not to trust. We want to know that it, in law, you are supposed to have on those body-worn cameras. So that's Brianna's Law for Kentucky. We're really working um, 
to get more legislative co-sponsors. There are 100 members of our, our House of Representatives. We have 11 co-sponsors. So, you know, y'all, we, we got a lot more work to do in Kentucky. But what um, you can do, Ashanti, what your folks in Maryland can do, State's Attorney um, Brave Boy, is that they can sign on as community co-sponsors of Brianna's law to say that yes, Kentucky deserves to have these protections so no other mother has to face what Tamika Palmer, Brianna's mother, has had to face since March 13th of 2020. So that's my call to action and my ask of folks is to sign on. We've got more than 4,000 people so far who have signed on. And what that does is build the energy and momentum and keeps her name alive, keeps her name being said by people, keeps her uh, the energy that we have for the fight for justice going across this country. Love it. We will make sure that we have the link to that in the show notes so everyone can go on and sign so we can support Representative Scott. So we're coming to the end. This has gone by so fast. I could talk to both of you for hours. Election day is right around the corner. We know that it's us women that can yet again make the difference. And now that we're talking about criminal justice reform, how should people stay engaged after the election? How should they be interacting with your office, state's attorney, Representative Scott? What's the best way to find out what bills are being introduced in the state house? One of my favorite sayings is from Mignon Moore that, you know, voting is not an event. Voting is a lifestyle. So we want everyone to vote, but we know that engagement after is what we need. So give the people some advice, state's attorney. How should they continue to stay engaged so we're enacting criminal justice reform? Absolutely. Well, I think definitely they should attend. And, and now it's even easier because oftentimes our legislatures, whether it's the local legislature or the state legislature, is having, they're holding up their hearings virtually. So you can actually go on and listen uh, to them deliberate over bills. But in addition to that, my ask is that you, you know, let your legislators know what type of legislation you would like to see them enact. Tell them to look at Brianna's Law and consider uh, passing a version of Brianna's law in their state. Um, I think that would really celebrate the life of this beautiful uh, young woman who was taken from all of us far too soon, but it also uplifts uh, Black women and the plight of Black people generally in our communities. And by having laws written or, or named after Black people, I think it, it really is important because it, it, it lets the world know that our lives actually matter. So when you say Black Lives Matter, you can't just say it. You have to actually do it. You have to execute it. And part of that is by saying that these laws that we are going to now hopefully pass uh, should be named in honor of those who, you know, who had to sacrifice their lives to hopefully make, you know, a life better for those coming after them. And so having a version of Brianna's Law, whether it is uh, addressing the no-knock warrant issue, addressing the body cam issue, you know, I, I think we also need to look at, and we didn't get into it, but at some point we really need 
into, which is the, the Supreme Court's Graham versus Connor decision, which really is the guiding law when it comes to police use of force cases, because it is very narrowly written. And it basically says that at the time the force was used, was it objectively reasonable for that officer to believe that his or her life was an imminent threat of serious bodily harm or death? That or someone else's, right? But, but that is the standard. And when the standard is written that narrow, uh, it does not take into account why they were there in the first place. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't take into account what they did immediately after, which to me was, well, I don't want to, I'll let representatives <laughs> talk about that too. Uh, but, but I think all of that really needs to be considered because, you know, oftentimes, you know, I hear folks say, well, I understand maybe they could do it, but was it necessary? And the issue is that whole necessity standard is not the standard in the law. It's the objective reasonableness standard. And so I think that has to be addressed as well. And I know that there are members of Congress that are looking at uh, trying to, you know, uh, create a use of force standard uh, de-escalation requirements and things like that, uh, that I think would better aid prosecutors in looking at the actions of law enforcement officers. But these are the, the real important issues that we must address if we're going to make a change. Representative Scott, close us out. Yes, thank you so much, Ashanti. And um, State's Attorney Brave Boy, thank you so much for lifting up Brianna's Law for Kentucky. That means the world to me and to us here in Kentucky. So, you know, going forward, folks in Kentucky uh, need to know that our legislative session begins in January. We're a little bit different than other places across the country. Uh, in January, our session will be very short, 30 days, and it's spread out over three months from January through March. And so folks have the opportunity, as you said, with meetings being virtually to engage in that way, but also call your elected official, call your state representative, tell them to sign on to Brianna's Law for Kentucky, uh, email them, tag them on social media. And I will say, and I think you will appreciate this, Ashanti, that at Injustice Square Park here in Louisville, downtown, the heart of Louisville, that so many of the young people who have been out every single day, now going on 140 days, protesting for justice for Breonna Taylor has said that they want to run for office. That's next. We're moving protests into policy, into politics. So, you know, we're lifting them up, encouraging them and getting them ready for 2022 and beyond. So that's what's next for us here in Kentucky. And yes, folks, please sign on as community co-sponsors of Breonna's Law for Kentucky. Thank you so much for listening. Please take time to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. For more information on the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, check us out on our website at www.thebgguide.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The BG Guide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network, and you can find them at wondermedianetwork.com. Until next time, Brown Girls. One more thing, I want to play the trailer for a new podcast we should all be listening to. It's called Say Their Name. Whose story? We can't get justice. 
What story? You need to watch the reality. It should make you uncomfortable. We have been too comfortable with too many bad things happening for too long. Her story. Police officer shot and killed a black woman in her own home. Hashtags through history. Incident Police officer incident. shot and killed yeah. a black woman yeah. in her own home. Say their name. Tune in to Say Their Name a podcast that focuses on the assault and killing of unarmed black people by police and in stand-your-ground states. But my child getting shot in the head, 60 seconds, that's how long it took. Wasn't no criminal. My baby was a good man, a good, hard-working man. I'm the mother. Father. Sister. Uncle. Grandmother. We were best friends. Gentle, laid-back, fun, sweetheart. He was a, a great kid, always had a smile on his face. This was a person who was our friend, our colleague, just the opposite of anyone you'd feel you need to defend yourself from. What happens when the hashtag stop? The media leaves, yet the community remains. I know our pain, you know, I want them to know our pain. The community was traumatized and experienced his murder too. Because the only thing they gave me was $60,000. And by the time I got the check, I only had $19,000. Please listen and subscribe to this and other DCP shows at dcpofficial.com on Apple, Spotify, Google, Pandora, or wherever you get your shows. You know, there's just so much stuff now. So sad that kids can't come outside and play.